Welcome to Loving the Christ Life. I'm Brad Wilson. Welcome again. Glad to have you with us this week. We are in a terrific session with Warren Litzman on Jesus and Paul. This is one of my favorite series so far. We've been getting a lot of emails and uh, uh, communication from all of you, and we're so happy that you like it as well. Let's get right into it. Jesus and Paul. Here's Warren. I want to deal with the next line in Ephesians 1 and 4. It says, according as he has chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world. Let's talk about before the foundation of the world. Now, the most difficult thing that I face when I deal with the theological subject of the gospel is the fact that there are two Gospels. Most people are taught there are one because they've never seen the Christ life. They've never seen Christ living in human beings. And because of this, we have always been raised on the theory that there's just one Gospel. But it is my intention to open your mind to the fact that there are two Gospels that need the application of Second Timothy uh, what is it, uh, 2 and 15, study to show yourself approved as workman who needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why did Paul say this to Timothy? It's because the gospel had become such that there were two gospels about Jesus Christ, and he sensed the need of them being divided, separated in the believer's mind. It is never my intention to do away with any part of the scripture, but it is my intention to tell you that while all Scripture is for you, all Scripture is not to you. And so the big thing we do here technically is to try to get you to see the Scriptures that belong to you. When I say four-fifths of the Bible is not directed to you, that really tears people up because we've all got some sacred Scripture somewhere that's changed our life, blessed us, brought us healing or straightened us out. And that's what the Word is for. All Scripture is for you. Everything in the Bible is for you. And I can take something God said to Adam and be blessed by it. I take David's psalm and I'm blessed by it. But none of that is to me. Now, we have taken it to ourselves, but none of it was to Gentiles. None of it was given to Gentiles. We, in fact, never had a gospel until Acts 28, 28, when finally the gospel went to the Gentiles. And so that had to be a different gospel because we were a different people. Do you understand that? Why were we different? We had no Father Abraham. We finally was able to claim Father Abraham through Jesus Christ. But until we accepted Jesus, we had no background. There is no background for Gentiles in four-fifths of the Bible. We have no Abraham. We're not a part of anything that was done with Israel. The few times we are mentioned are very devious times. Two or three times God blessed the Gentiles in the Old Testament so they'd lick Israel. He was ready to punish Israel, so he took a Gentile nation and spanked Israel with it. But we had no part in anything that was going on. Never were the Gentiles as such. And when Jesus came, he certainly had no place for Gentiles. He told his disciples that the message was to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And the two occasions where Jesus dealt with Gentiles, we didn't come out so good. One occasion he said we were dogs. So... There was nothing for the Gentiles, you see, until Acts 28 when the gospel went to the Gentiles. 
That had to be a different gospel since we had no foundation, we had no history, we have no history. This is why I divide the scriptures. Four-fifths of the Bible is prophecy. It's all prophecy. Why do I call it prophecy? Because it has to do with Israel and it hasn't taken place yet in its fullest. Will one day, Israel will have everything in the Bible fulfilled in them. But since Israel rejected the Messiah, God went ahead with the plan of the gospel that was his, in his mind, before he ever chose Israel. See? You'll be surprised how much of what we believe is based on God's dealing with Israel. Nothing wrong with that. We get a lot of blessings out of it. What he said to somebody else, I can be blessed by it. But it's not to me. So my intention is to get you to the to the scriptures and to the word that belongs to those whom he has birthed. He never birthed Israel. He never birthed anybody in the Old Testament. They were all created beings that God chose to serve him, to live for him. And they had a hard time doing that because they didn't have any part of God in them. So beginning on the day of Pentecost, we have a new, different way of God dealing with people. This is all enhanced by the statement that says, before the foundation of the world. Now, to help you understand what it is I'm saying, you need to really block out that word before because that's one of the most important words in the New Testament. The word before. Before the foundation of the world. This message of Christ in you was planned before the world was created. The message of Christ in you, therefore, is not based on Adam's sin, though Adam's sin is a part of our background. But it isn't based on Adam's sin. It isn't based on Noah's message. It isn't based on Abraham. It isn't based on Moses' law. And it isn't based on the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. It is the message of Christ before all of that took place. Now, this is the essence of that statement. We were chosen to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. Now, before the foundation of the world, to go back with the very quick history of it, God had emptied his house of this erroneous group following Lucifer. It is then, I assume, speculate, that God said, I can see now that I will have no lovers in my house unless they have my kind of love in them. You ever stop and think about Lucifer? He was right in the presence of God. He received more from God than anybody in the Scriptures did. Read Ezekiel 38. Read what all belonged to Lucifer, and you know what? It didn't change him. So I've come away with that, saying that you can be right in the presence of God and not get changed. You can have a glorious miracle, and it won't change you. Think of all the things we say, oh, if I just have this or that. You can have all of that, but it's not going to change you. Lucifer wasn't changed. Look at Adam. I've always said that if ever we needed a changed life, it was with Adam. But we have no record that when Adam was caught in his sin, he did anything but try to cover it. What if he had fallen on his knees and said, Oh, God, forgive me. I've done wrong. Help me. What do you think God would have done? Why well, would have changed the whole plan? The God of love would probably have forgiven him. If Lucifer had said, oh, Father, I'm sure stupid. I got all this and don't understand it. I think I'm bigger than you. I'm a real dumbo. What if he'd have said that? You see, they didn't. They were created beings. They didn't say that. 
So it isn't in man in his created form to be what God wants him to be. That's why Paul announced in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, For by one Spirit, the Holy Spirit, are we all baptized, placed in one body, which is Christ. Before the foundation of the world, this all took place. Before. What's the keystone? Not just that God had the idea that I'm going to have to put a part of myself in the creature for him to return love to me. There was more to it than that. I spent much of my life teaching, particularly in theology areas, the justification of Jesus Christ. But I want to talk about the justification of God for just a moment because sometimes we don't hear much about that. God is a person with personality. That's very obvious because of the way he does things. He has his own personality. And way back there before the beginning, he wanted things to fit who and what he was. Now, he has supreme power. He can do anything he wants to do. If he wants love to bless him, he could create love by blocks, by trees, by grass, by creatures. He could have all the dogs to fall on their knees and worship him every day. He's powerful enough to do anything. But that doesn't justify who he is. Who is he? I can't tell you entirely. But from my study of this book, our God is one who's been hurt. That's not a good word for it, but that's the only word I can come up with. He's been hurt at some time or another. He's been rejected. Because of his kind of love, he's been spurned. Maybe it was Lucifer that caused that. He's been hurt. And so in his thinking, I see that if I'm going to have a people who love me, I can't make them to love me. That would go against who I am. But I want their love. All God's ever wanted out of any one of you is to love him. But you see, it isn't in you to do that, not within yourself. All he wanted was love. So the thought is, if he's to have return love, it has to be of that love that he is. It has to be him. How is he going to do this and be justified? I said to you before, he can't create that love in you because that would make you a robot. Have you ever stopped to think that's what religion tries to do to you? It tries to make a robot out of it. It, it uh, tries to fix all of us alike, <clears throat> make us all alike. You understand that that's in every one of us, especially it's in pastors and preachers. We want everybody to be stereotyped. I want everybody to be alike. That's why we won't let some people in our church because they're not like the rest of us because we want everything stereotyped. We want everything just to fit right. Uh, God couldn't do this because he was going to make every one of us different. Though in his image and likeness, there would be no two of us alike. That was how he was going to get glory out of the human, because if there are no two alike, and we return love to him, that love would be different from every person. 
his love, but it would be manifested different, and that's what he wanted, just like he has no trees, two trees alike, no two leaves are alike, no two blades of grass are alike. They're all different. Science says that. I don't know that. So no two of us were to be alike. We were not to be stereotyped. He would create all of us differently, yet in his image and likeness, because he wanted this return of love. So before he created this world, he planned it in his mind to be justified to put a part of himself in us. How in the world could this kind of a God be justified to take a part of himself, God the Son, and put it in us? Ah, there was one other important thing that had to fit his thinking. And that was, I have been hurt, and out of my hurt, a price must be paid for me to get what I want. So you know what he did next? He took his most priceless possession that was to be the life in that creature, and he killed it. He killed it. That's his justification. If I'm going to put a part of myself in them, then I'm going to take the most priceless thing I have and kill it. And out of that death will I bring true life to this creature before the foundation of the world. First Peter chapter 1. You need to mark this. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by the tradition of your fathers, that's past religion, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained when... Circle it, mark it. Before the foundation of the world. Now, back to my theme. The only place in the scriptures that ever worked out was with the Apostle Paul. He was given the message. Now, somebody says, why are you so adamant on Paul? Why are you so taken up with Paul? I got a book coming out right now called Paul. Why are you so taken up with Paul? <laughs> it's simple. He's the only one God gave this truth to. Yes. Why beat around the bush? He didn't give it to Peter. Peter had a great message. He had the Pentecostal message. You know what he did on the day of Pentecost? Instead of preaching John 14 and 20 today, Christ is in us and we're in Christ. <clears throat> you know what he did? He got up and preached out of Joel. 
He preached Joel 2.28. I did that for years. I started always with Joel 2.28. That's not my gospel. That's not my verse. That's not what really happened on the day of Pentecost. Of course, part of it was fulfilled, but uh, the part of it that has to do with the tribulation period hadn't come about yet, where the moon is turned into blood and all that sort of stuff. Do you see? Paul was the one God gave this message to. He raised up a man that could handle it. I don't want to take a lot of time talking about Paul as a person, <clears throat> but he's the most educated man in the Scriptures. And you know, I've often said God wouldn't give you a dime for education if you didn't love Christ. Dime, that's Texas money. Penny, you got pennies? What do you have here? But you know what God does want? He wants you to see Jesus. And Paul is the one who brings forth that Jesus. That's not the Mary body Jesus. That's the body of Christ. That's the Jesus. So you see something here. The justification of God is that the Lamb was foreordained before the foundation, or a big word, before, before the world was created. Foreordained. <coughs> <coughs> Well, we've seen parts of that, haven't we? We've seen all the way through the Old Testament, every time they offered a sacrifice, that pointed to Jesus. But that wasn't our message, wrapped up in sacrifices, wrapped up in the priesthood, wrapped up in the tabernacle in the wilderness, wrapped up in Solomon's temple. That wasn't our message. What is our message is this lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Now, that's the gospel that Jesus gave to Paul. Always remember, every gospel comes from Jesus. The message that Jesus gave to the apostles, go forth preaching the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, or whatever. Go only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Go not to any Gentiles. That's the gospel of Jesus of Nazareth. But this gospel that was given to Paul came from the same Jesus, not based on anything on this earth, but based on what happened before the earth was created. Before the foundation of the world. Now to show you how things have been commingled by you and I, your Bible is not a commingled book. It's not a mixed up book. Who's mixed up are we who read it. Because we've not rightly divided the word of truth, we're mixed up when we read the Bible. So a verse of Scripture was brought to me by a dear heart here this morning, and I want to read it for you. Go with me to Revelation chapter 13. Revelation chapter 13, at verse 8 it says, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him. Talking about the beast, whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of what? Do you see a difference in that statement? And Ephesians 1 and 4? There's a huge difference. What's the difference? From... Circle it. 
Where does this gospel come from? From the creation of the world. What is the difference there? One gospel starts with Adam. The other gospel starts with Christ slain before Adam. Jesus of Nazareth preached the gospel from the foundation of the world. Why? It belonged to Israel, an earthly people who were not born again, who would not have Christ in them, but were chosen by God to be his people. The other gospel which was given to Paul was the gospel that started before the foundation of the world. It included the cross. Ironically, of all the New Testament writers, Paul's the only one who writes that salvation took place at the cross. Wouldn't you think Peter would talk about that? Wouldn't you think John would talk about that? John comes close talking about the blood slain and Peter too. But never is the cross the means of salvation to any other writer than Paul in the New Testament. You see, to me that's strategic because that's the right dividing of the Scriptures and your Bible is like that. The verse of Scripture we're going to deal with next needs to be commented on here, and I'm not going to go into the detail of it right now, but go with me to Romans 16. We'll spend a lot of time on this verse, but I want to separate something just because we're at this subject right now. It's important. Romans 16, verse 25. It says, Now to him to God, who has the power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began. The true gospel. You're not going to find it till it's given to Paul. Because God himself kept it secret since the world began. Wouldn't it have been great if when Adam walked in the cool of the garden with God, that God said, Adam, I not only have created you, but I'm going to take a part of myself and put it in you so that I can always trust you to be mine. It was a secret. He didn't tell him. God talked to Noah. Noah, you're going to save the world, and I'm going to put Christ in all of you. He didn't say that. It was a secret. Moses, I'm going to give you the law, and I'm going to give you Christ to live in you so he can keep the law, so that when Jesus came, he was the law keeper, the only one that's ever been but it was a secret. He didn't tell it. So Jesus of Nazareth didn't give us this secret. He knew it. I can show you places where I think he bordered it. I think it was like something bursting out of him of what was really going to happen to human beings. For three times he said, I got a lot of things to tell you that I can't tell you now. But he didn't give it. Peter didn't know it. James and John didn't know it. was given to Paul. 
since the world was created, in the writing of this book, it was not known, held secret. Five times in Paul's epistles, he gives us verses that this truth was hidden, it was kept secret, it was not known until it was given to him. I don't present Paul as a saint. I present him as a sinner saved by grace. He's not a God. We don't worship him. He's not a Savior. He didn't die for one of us. He did die for this message, but he didn't die for one of us. He didn't shed his blood for us. He is no way capable to God's Son, but he is strategic in God's plan of bringing us the true gospel. He is just as strategic to the Gentiles as Abraham is to the Jews. You got that? That's how strategic he is. Abraham is everything to the Jews. They pray and worship him. Paul is that to the Gentiles. He's God's instrument. As Abraham was the instrument to raise up a new group of people for God, so is Paul the instrument to bring the final gospel to the born again. From the foundation of the world. Think about it now. If you concentrate on it, this is how you come up with the gospel of grace. Because that gospel's not going to be based on all the things that happen through the scriptures. When you and I sit down and read the scriptures, we find identification points with everything that happened. We see the children of Israel marching around the walls of Jericho, and so we build up a great message there that we've got to take this thing, we've got to do this and got to do that. We identify with all these parts. That's okay. We get a lot of soulish strength and help from that. That's where our soulish part grows. That's where the Holy Spirit works. He works only in that soulish part. But that's not our gospel. So sooner or later your mind begins to see the scriptures if you stick with Paul's message that, hey, I am different. I couldn't fit with the children of Israel. I'm different. I couldn't even fit with Joshua and Caleb as different as they were. I don't fit with David. You see, the more you concentrate on the gospel that belongs to you, the more you begin to see that God has done a miraculous thing for you. You've been rebirthed. But you know the rebirth isn't worth anything unless you understand it because every sinner saved by grace is rebirth. But I find most of them don't know anything about it. We had uh, two or three notable people in America in the last uh, 10 or 15 years that wrote books on being born again. Now, I'm, I know all three of them. One of them is Colson, one of them is Jimmy Carter, the president, and the other is Graham, Billy Graham. All three of them wrote books on being born again, and at no place do they mention a father rebirthing a human being. It's like religion doesn't know this. It talks about the glories that we ought to be based. For instance, you, you ought to be more like uh, Enoch. You ought to be more like Elijah. You ought to be more like David. Can you hear? I can just hear my old sermon 
flowing out of me. This is the way you ought to live. Be like those folks. It says right here in the book, be like those folks. But that's not your gospel. That's why you left every church service and went, well, God, grace, I'm going to be like David. I'm going to kill the giants. I'm going to do that. Bless God, I'm going to take a hold of this thing. <clears throat> and you felt good for a while. <clears throat> but finally you had a tiger by the tail that was bigger than you. It wasn't in God's intention that you do that like David. He could only lick your enemies through Christ in you. It wouldn't be you then, it would be Christ. I no longer live. Christ liveth in me. <clears throat> so we have two Gospels. This was made very apparent in Galatians 2 where Peter and Paul have their confrontation. This is where I discovered, in the second chapter of Galatians is where I discovered that theologians, most of them, could not read. <clears throat> to paraphrase it, Paul, in control here at Antioch, simply says that, Peter, the Lord has called you to preach the gospel of circumcision. Now, what is the gospel of circumcision? That's the gospel where if you do something, God says you'll be blessed. Boy, that's pretty general, isn't it? I mean, if, if you pray, if you read your Bible, if you go to church, if you, if you treat people nice, if you do something, you'll be blessed. But I'm here to tell you that nothing you do blesses God. So his blessings are not contingent on what you do. They're contingent on the finished work of Christ. Let me give you an illustration. I used to have big healing meetings. <clears throat> and this is where I got a grasp on God that was, that was different. I would see people that I thought had great faith who sincerely fasted and prayed and got ready for that moment when we'd pray for them, lay hands on them, and they got nothing or worse. And I have some old boy to come through a prayer line that lived in a backslidden state half the time. You wouldn't give a penny for his testimony and would pray for him and he'd be healed. And so I said to God one day when I got through at the meeting like that, I said, Lord, I really don't understand you. Are you going to punish all these people who really do something to please you and going to bless all these that don't do anything? And that's when he let me know that whatever he did was by grace, and grace means none of us, all of him. I didn't get a good answer, except I can see now that God does what he wants to do, the way he wants to do it. If you trust him, he'll take care of you. If you try to tie him down to what it is you need or want and you don't get it, you're out of bounds because you're going to get upset and mad. So bigger than your faith is his faith working in you which turns to trust. Trust in the Lord. <laughs> Well, we had to learn something about all of this. We had to grow into this grace. 
and it's limitless. It's absolutely limitless, this thing. But I've got to stick with my subject. The gospel, then, <coughs> is determined by words. So that you'll know when God is speaking to you, you can define it by the word before. The other gospel is based on the word since or from. <clears throat> now, don't pin God down and say, My, the Lord had to change his mind and do this. No, God doesn't change his mind. He knows the beginning from the end. And the true gospel is based on before our time started. So he knew all of these things. He knew. So the gospel of before is the gospel of uncircumcision. The gospel of since and from is the gospel of circumcision. What is it? It's the doer gospel. What is uncircumcision? It's the beer gospel. Be who you are. Well, if everybody was turned loose in grace, most of us was raised under the law would say they'll all go to the devil. They won't live it. But if I should tell you you understood grace, you'd fall so much in love with God that you wouldn't want to do wrong. Why do law people continue to do wrong? It's because the doing of their wrong is a psychological form of punishing themselves because they can't do right. That we won't go into, but that's a psychological fact. That's the way all humans are. If I was to told you, just be who you are in Christ, you'd think, well, everybody will go to the dog. We'll all be at the beer joint or somewhere overnight. No. If you knew who you were, you would respect yourself. So human beings that don't know who they are have little or no respect for themselves. So they can do bad and say, well, I can't help it. That's what I am. But that's not who you were. Who you think you are in the moment of a crisis is not who you were. Ever since the cross, you have been somebody in spirit that's pleasing to God and totally acceptable to God. But your problem's in your mind. I will not go into that. I just spent a year on the mind. But your trouble's in your thinking. As a man thinketh, so is he. And so if you think wrong about yourself, that's the way you're going to be. So we have the two Gospels here. This is the Gospel of Paul. This is the Gospel of Peter, before Peter come to see Paul's message, which he was bound to, he had to. And he did in time, because he tells us that we are born again by the incorruptible seed. He goes to the very depth of the message. <clears throat> Let's go back to the foundation of the world for just a moment. What is all this planning before the world was created? What's behind it? Let's talk about the Father for a moment. God, our Father, wants to be a Father. 
Now, in his household, he has all these created beings. Angels, seraphim, cherubims, archangels, and Lucifer. He has all of these created beings. But they're forced to honor him and to obey him. They're created. They're under his law. That doesn't fulfill his love. What he really wants is his own children. Somebody asked me the other day, what is the Christ life? What is the Christ life? And I thought for a moment, I got an answer for that. The Christ life is a group of people who fulfill the Father's plan of having His own children. Oh, you say, does that make you different from anybody else? Not at all. But there is a difference. That doesn't make us better or greater or more important than anybody else. What it does, it makes us a knower of who we are. What am I? I am the fulfillment of the Heavenly Father's desire to have a son. You are the fulfillment of God's desire to have daughters. He cannot have a son without birthing them. He cannot be a father till he births a son. So he was never father to Israel. Back to John 8. Why in the world was there such a ruckus between Jesus and the Jews in John 8 that made Jesus say the angry thing, you're not of Abraham, you're of the devil? That's what got him killed, probably, with that very statement. They never forgot that. You're not going to tread on somebody's religion. Get by with it. And Jesus had done that. He said, you're of the devil. So we are the fulfillment of the Father's desire. Why is it I separate all the other scripture from what Paul has to say? Because this special group of people called the born again are something special to the Father. Israel is special to the Father, but earthly. She's going to straighten out the earth. We're special to the Father because we're going to live in His house. The moment we're taken off this earth, we go to be with the Lord. That's why Paul taught that even the dead are in Christ. The dead in Christ shall rise first. We who wait and remain shall be caught up together to meet the Lord in the air. What is it? We are something special to the Father. We're not the only thing special. Abraham will be special. He'll be resurrected for earth living. All the Old Testament saints will be resurrected for the millennium. But you and I, though we can go between earth and heaven, probably a suggestion is made of that in the tribulation and the millennium. But note, we belong in the Father's house. We're filling up the empty space the devil made. 
we're different because we're bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, spirit of his spirit. We're his. We're the born again. We belong there. You've never belonged on this earth since you've been born again. And part of your frustration is in living is trying to work all that out. It won't work out. You're not made for this. Paul said we were ambassadors for Christ. Ever since you've been saved, you've been sent from the Father's house to represent Him on this earth. He has more children He wants to birth. He's not a full papa yet. He wants a lot more kids. That's why you and I are here. During this period of time that God is birthing his own family, he's not straightening out Israel. I hope you noticed that. Do you watch Israel? She's still a bit cantankerous. He's not fulfilling the covenants that belong to Israel. Sad to say, some of the church are picking up the covenants and trying to fulfill them for themselves. They're out of bounds. They're erroneous. The four unfulfilled covenants, which is the Palestinian covenant and the Davidic covenant and the new covenant in Jeremiah, the four of them, they belong to Israel. They don't belong to us. But we, we, we are so earth-hungry to be something on this earth. People in the church have always tried to fulfill this, and they do it with what we call the kingdom message that we're going to rule and reign on this earth, but that who, who in the world wants to? Well, our time is up for today, and we'll stop right here, but we'll pick it up right where we left off next week with this great session from Warren Litzman about Jesus and Paul. This program is presented each week by the Christ Life Fellowship. Please go to our website, check us out, and be sure and visit our bookstore with all of the great material from Warren Litzman. Christ-life.org. That's the website address, christ-life.org. Our thanks to Robbie Litzman for allowing us to go into the archives each week. We're so grateful get to bring you these wonderful teachings from Warren Litzman. Also, Valerie Hill does our Twitter account. Tammy Laycock does the weekly podcast notes. And each week, this program is produced by the wonderful Teresa Ferraro from the Christ Life Fellowship. Until next time, I'm Brad Wilson, loving the Christ life.